0: The judge in the Lori Vallow and Chad DeBell matter makes some rulings. One involves Lori Helles' motion. The court imposes a gag order in the Delphi case. I'll explain what it means. At least one family member in the Idaho slain has lost trust and confidence in the police. Amber Heard and Johnny Depp have filed their briefs for their cross appeals. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, my name is Scott Reich. Welcome to Crime Talk, the true crime news channel you can come to for facts and analysis from an actual practicing criminal defense attorney. And you know the drill, subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, hit that little bell so you receive notifications, and please leave me a comment below about what we discussed today. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Now, before we get started, that's right, we need to support the people that, well, support Crime Talk. And today's sponsor is crimetalksearch.com. When you go to that link, you are going to be able to sign up for a background subscription service. You are going to be able to do as many searches on people that you want to search as you want, and you can cancel at any time. So if you want to research Ten people a month or 10 people a day, you can do it. Or if you want to do it once, you that's all you need. Now remember, when you go there and you sign up, you'll be able to do a background search and you'll be able to literally wait for the report to be prepared while you're online. And it will be emailed to you. The report will be. And in that report, it's going to have information regarding someone's background. You're going to have information about where they live, the property that they own. You're going to be able to see if they have a criminal history. Do they have to put themselves on one of those public registries? And oh, by the way, if you're dating somebody, yep, it's, it's dating malpractice not to check somebody out with a background subscription service. And you're going to get information like, oh, I don't know. Are they still married? Are they divorced? Do they have judgments against them? Things that they're probably not going to bring out to you at all. So, you need to check them out. Go to crimetalksearch.com. You'll be happy you did. All right, let's go ahead and open the docket for December 5th, 2022. Well, Judge Boyce has been busy in the Lori Vallow matter. And one of the orders that he issued was in regards to, well, that's right, Lori Hellas. As you may recall, Lori Hellas, who we've had on our show, um, she is writing a book. She is an attorney. And she. Attempted to intervene, and Judge Boyce had basically done everything he possibly could to dissuade uh, Miss Hellas from going forward to get the case unsealed, so to speak, so that the public can have access to the records. Now, let me give you a quick procedural background because I think it's important to do so. First, Lori Hellas is a non-movement. That was a big deal, you know, can't have interveners unless, of course, well, you're the press. Anyway, she filed a motion to unseal all documents and transcripts or recordings of past hearings. And um, that matter was heard on October 13th of 2022, and the court took the matter under advisement. So here we are now, December 5th, 2022, and it's taken nearly two months uh, for the court to uh, issue its ruling. The argument that Lori Hellis made was pretty simple, and that was, hey judge, uh, this is a public courtroom. Uh, our Constitution guarantees that matters are to be done in public, and you are improperly restricting items that should be a matter of public concern. Now, initially, the judge sort of poo pooed uh, Ms. Hellas in her arguments, but I think for the most part, she won. And, you know, this is the beautiful thing that people don't realize it is the lawyer down there filing matters in the district court, the trial court levels that really holds the government accountable. Do you think the court would have gone back and reviewed and said, you know what? I think I've made some mistakes here. I think I need to make this available to the public. Of course they wouldn't unless somebody said you're not following the rules. They wouldn't have. I've said this once and I'll say it again. Nobody gets up in the government and says, you know what? I think we should provide more access to the public. I think we should provide more freedoms to the public. They don't do that. They love their power too much. Anyway, the court basically said, hey, I have done everything I can in accordance with the Idaho court administrative rules, specifically 32, and it gives me a lot of broad discretion on what I can seal and unseal, and basically no appellate court is probably going to uh, say that I abused my discretion. And so the court kind of goes through its analysis here and says, During the October 13th, 2022 hearing, the state raised in argument an important point bearing on this decision that he's ordering today. The Idaho Court Administrative Rules makes a distinction between public records subject to procedural requirements before a court may seal a record and those records which are exempt from public disclosure without the need for a procedural hearing. or administrative ruling. And since Hellas' motion is a request to unseal all sealed documents of record of proceedings, including but not limited to the following, and wherein Miss Hellas asks for 98 items where she says that they should in fact be unsealed. Now the court then says, okay, you're right, Miss Hellas does in fact have standing and uh, it says the record is devoid though of any evidence miss helles has filed a public records request upon the proper custodian of records under the idaho code section 74-101 or the idaho code of administrative rules 32j as such the only request probably before this court is a request to unseal records previously sealed in the Fremont County case number 22-21-1623. The court will not unseal any record circumscribed as expressly exempt from public disclosure in accordance with ICAR 32G. To do so would violate the express exemption provisions of the rule and request to do so without legal basis or foundation. Further, the court will not consider Hellas's general request to review quote all documents, end quote documents, and instead limit its review to the 17 specific documents, hearings, or records Hellas listed in the motion. Accordingly, it would be improper unseal documents unrelated to this case, and any proper request made to the appropriate cases will be directed herein. But what does the court do. And this is why you've actually got to read the documents. All right. The court goes through the some 98 documents that uh, Lori Hellis had requested. And the court, for example, says the scheduling conference on June 23 says so Hellis requests that any judicial sidebars and video conferences, breakout rooms be unsealed. And it says, just as public does not come into chambers during in-person hearings with judges and attorneys, nor does the public meet with counsel and their clients when they convene at counsel table. Neither will the court disseminate the same type of conversations occurring through the use of Zoom technology while in-person hearings were restricted under COVID-19 protocols. There are publicly available minutes for this hearing. That request is denied. But then, for example, now the court did unseal an ex parte motion as well as the order in regards to a protection order. And the court says that this motion is now proper to unseal as the court finds that the public disclosure predominates over an interest in privacy. Now he does, now he does. Now I could go through many, many more of these and that's what it says. For example, the motion to oppose use and motion to preserve fingerprint samples filed under seal. This motion is proper to unseal as the court finds that the public disclosure predominates over any interest in privacy. Well, what suddenly public interest predominates predominates um, at this point? Why didn't the court go through this analysis before? It just shows the point that Lori Hellis and I have both made is that this should all have been unsealed first and And if one of the parties wanted it sealed at that time, then they should have done so. Now, there are certain things that are going to be sealed, you know, medical records, uh, mental health records, date of birth, that kind of stuff will be redacted. But for them to operate from this general rule that everything should be sealed is wrong. So, for example, objection to state's motion regarding waiver of conflict under seal. Though the... Nomenclature indicates this is unsealed. The record does not reflect this pleading is sealed. Um, the court goes on. Then the notes. Oh, by the way, we just happen to have a clerical error. Um, this is an order regarding objection to counsel's entry appearance and said so this was filed under seal on clerical error and not under the discretion of the court. This orderly is. This order is proper to unseal, as the court finds that the public disclosure predominates over any interest in privacy, and it goes on and on and on. And there are many, many more of these that where the court finally said, oh, by the way, you can now have those. So when they're actually published, we will get them to you. And if there's something of significance, we will let you know. Now, the court didn't issue an order just yet as it relates to the um, motion to prevent a death qualification jury, but the prosecution's response was uh, pretty straightforward and simple. And I think it's worth noting because I think the defense motion is dead on arrival. The defense, despite controlling authority from the Idaho and state Supreme Court, relies on various social sciences articles and academic studies to request the court prevent death qualification of jurors. The defendant further asks the court instead implement alternatives to jury selection by selecting separate juries on the issues of guilt and punishment. The defendant cites no Idaho law for her request and indeed cannot as they have been rejected by both courts and legislators. The defendant's proposed alternative to jury selections are not supported by the Sixth Amendment jurisprudence and contrary to Idaho law. I think the court will uh, take those words directly uh, from the state's motion uh, when it drafts its order. Uh, the defense request by in behalf of Lori Vallow, basically to get away with the do away with the death penalty, is not going to happen. I get it. You got to make the arguments. It's un it's unconstitutional. Not happening at all. And then the uh, final uh, motion that was filed by the uh, prosecutors in this particular case for uh, Chad DeBell, as you may recall, Chad DeBell's attorney John Pryor had basically said, "Hey." There are FBI interviews that have been made, they're being documented, but they haven't been turned over, and the defense is entitled to them, and the prosecution just won't turn them over at all. And then the prosecution says the state is confused by the defendant's false assertion that the state takes the position that the state do not that the states do not need to turn this information over to the defense because the FBI, not state investigators, conducted the interviews. The state has never expressed or held this position. Indeed, the state has turned over voluminous materials from the FBI, including multiple reports of interviews conducted by the FBI in relation to this case. So see, ladies and gentlemen, that's why it is so imperative to wait. Like I said, I took John Pryor's statement, you know, he's an officer of the court. You should say, well, if he's making that statement, he must have some information. So you like to think he's being a straight shooter. Uh, but then you got to kind of wait for the state as well and say, we've turned over everything. In fact, that's ridiculous. We've never taken that position. So you just have to be patient in uh, a lot of these matters because it's easy to throw uh, grenades and uh, hope they uh, do some good. But at the end of the day, um, the truth is going to come out. That's the beautiful thing about our adversarial system. Is that somebody doesn't just get to say it, and then if for it, it must be true, we get to question it. I've always said this, and I mean I'm not creating this from anything, but uh, it's been said. Uh, Justice Scalia said the crucible of cross examination is the greatest truth-seeking tool ever invented, and I totally, totally believe it. When somebody has to sit on a witness chair under oath, with the under the pains and penalty of perjury, it gets real. Not somebody sitting behind a keyboard, dropping their next theory and calling everybody else a bunch of idiots or anything along those lines. It gets real when you actually have to go to court, where you actually have to have evidence and means you actually have to have a witness come in and testify to something, not just speculation, which, well, so many people want to engage in these days. Next on the docket, people close to the Delphi case will no longer be able to talk about it, at least until a hearing that's going to be held in January. On Friday, late Friday, Judge Francis Gull issued an order granting the state's motion for a gag order in the Richard Allen case. The order was issued after Allen's defense released a press release Thursday speaking out against the evidence presented by the recently released probable cause affidavit. Now, here's the court's order. On the court's motion in response to defendant's undated press release, the court issues an order granting the state's motion for order prohibiting the parties, counsel, law enforcement officials, court personnel, coroner, and family members from disseminating information or releasing any extrajudicial statements by means of public communication in whole pending hearing, which court has just recently scheduled for January 13th of 2023 at 10 a.m. in the Carroll Circuit Court. Now, what is interesting is, yes, the prosecution filed a gag order, but the court kind of did it on its own and said, yeah, I'm prohibiting everybody, we'll address the issue at a later date. Now, the state of Indiana, like most states or all states, actually have rules of professional conduct, specifically Rule 3.6 addresses trial publicity in its entirety, and Rule 3.8, the special responsibilities of prosecutors. Violations of the court's order are punishable by contempt of court and subject to fine and or jail. Now, the prosecutors, uh, in this case previously, asked for a large-gauge order uh, to be filed, which would bar Allen, all of his attorneys connected in the case, um, from making any sort of extrajudicial statements. Like I said, the court moved on its own and didn't wait for a whole hearing on it, and uh, the gag order will remain in place until that January 13th hearing. And Mr. Allen's attorneys have also asked for a change of venue, citing extensive media attention and the highly publicized nature of this case as reasons to move the trial some 150 miles away in order to reduce the likelihood of obtaining a tainted jury pool. I think that one has a pretty good chance of being granted. Most chains of venues, well, they're not. And most criminal defendants will say immediately when they don't like the judge or the district attorney, they'll say, I wanna change a venue. You have to be able to show you, you're probably not going to get a fair and impartial jury. Hell, in this particular case, you had the judge that said they couldn't be fair and impartial. So I think that's pretty reasonable that That motion to uh, have a change of venue has a pretty high probability of being granted. Next on the docket, some of the family members in the Idaho College campus slain, well, saying they lost faith and confidence in the police. Now, Steve Goncalves, the father of University of Idaho uh, murder victim, Kaylee Goncalves, said that he has lost confidence in the police investigation surrounding his daughter's death as a result of poor communication and a lack of progress, progress in the case. It leaves the victim's families desperate for answers. Now, Mr. Guncalves vowed to continue speaking out publicly and has encouraged the other victim's family to do the same in advance. Mr. Guncalves said that his daughter, Kaylee, had injuries that were significantly more brutal the other victims, which is driving theories that she was the target of the quadruple homicide. Kaylee's family revealed her injuries over the weekend were more extensive than those suffered by Zayna Kernowal, her boyfriend Ethan Chapin, or even Maddie Mogan, who was in the bed when they were murdered um, on November 13th, when they were in the same bed on November 13th. Now, the family is growing increasingly frustrated with the bungled police investigation into their daughter's murder which has so far produced no real leads or suspects. The family is turning to a private investigator to help them try to find out some answers. I'm not sure what private investigator will be able to do that the police haven't already done, but you never know. They're going to go back and uh, look at everything. It could help. Now, Kaylee's father said uh, that he was horrified to learn that some of the detectives on the murder unit within the Moscow Police Department were in only their mid-20s. He says they're very inexperienced and um, he doesn't want anyone making mistakes on his child's case. He previously said that Kaylee's injuries were worse than the other kid's but he didn't go into detail. Now, he fumed over the weekend that detectives are allowing the case to go cold and that while they may not appreciate his continued interaction with the media, it's necessary to find his daughter's killer. He also revealed during an interview this weekend that the police have asked him not to specify whether he believes his daughter was the intended target. He said, quote, I probably over-disclosed information that they wish I wouldn't have said, but the story's going cold. There's less people coming to Moscow. I'm not going to go to sleep in my bed, knowing that I could get up and I could go to town and I could do something. And I'm not going to go away. He says he hates to be the pain, but his father, he can't sleep thinking I could be doing something. Now, for those who are familiar, um, Kaylee. Uh, Madison, their roommate, Zaina Kornodel, and her boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, were stabbed to death on November 13th, likely where they were sleeping. Kaylee and Madison were sleeping on the third floor, and Zaina and Ethan were on the second floor. Cops that the killer entered the house through a sliding glass door on the second floor, which was level with the backyard. Now, two of the roommates in the house uh, were there, but were unharmed, and were unaware that the attack even occurred. They were sleeping down on the first floor. Cops have said uh, some of the victims had defensive wounds, but who or how many remain unclear. And uh, Mr. Goncalves said Saturday that um, Kaylee and Madison appeared to have died in different ways. He said, quote, I'll cut to the chase. Their means of death don't match. Kaylee's father, Stephen Goncalves, said Kaylee and Madison Mogan were sleeping in the same bed when the attack occurred their points of damage don't match, he added. I'm just going to say it. It wasn't leaked to me. I earned it. I paid for that funeral. I sent my daughter to college and she came back in a box and I can speak on that. My heart goes out to each and every one of the family members in this particular case. I couldn't imagine uh, what they must be going through and the fact that they can't get any real answers thus far uh, has got to be frustrating. So if anyone has somebody knows something. Someone has said something to someone. And that person who has that information should come forward for the families in this particular case. Next, Amber Heard. Not a criminal case, but hey, it's Amber Heard, right? Well, she has uh, filed an appeal in the Virginia courts asking for a reversal of the decision or an entirely new trial in the defamation case against her ex-husband, Johnny Depp, which obviously she lost earlier this year. Now, Heard filed her appeal last month and argued that the exclusion of some of her therapy notes in which she reported being abused by Mr. Depp resulted in an unfair trial. The do- the notes were um, excluded by the judge handling the case. So back in June, Mr. Depp was awarded a $10.35 million uh, verdict delivered after his legal team successfully argued that Heard's Washington Post op-ed in which she accused her ex-husband of domestic abuse was defamatory. Heard did not name Depp publicly in the piece, but given their status and notoriety, it was evident who she was referring to in regards to her history of being allegedly abused. Well, now in the 68-page document, Dated uh, late November, Heard's attorneys write that the court improperly prevented the jury from considering several instances in which Heard reported Depp's abuse to a medical professional. If not reversed, the trial court's exclusion of contemporaneous reports of domestic abuse to medical professionals will make it more difficult for other abuse victims to prove allegations of abuse and likely deter them from coming forward. The Attorneys for Hold said that that holding, Heard's attorneys argue, if allowed to stand, undoubtedly will have a chilling effect on other women who wish to speak about abuse involving powerful men. Uh, They also argued this case should never have gone to trial because another court had already concluded that Mr. Depp abused Ms. Hurd on multiple occasions, that being the court in England. Uh, But that's not binding on any court here because the law is just a tad bit different. Although I think it should be somewhat persuasive, regardless, um, they're referring to the United Kingdom High Court justice ruling in a separate defamation suit brought by Mr. Depp that the Pirates of the Caribbean actor abused his ex-wife. Her legal team, which comprised a different set of lawyers than actually represented her at the trial level uh, that took place in Fairfax, Virginia. Well, her appellate attorneys say that should have ta- that trial should have taken place in California where the once married couple lived together. Virginia was the venue uh, because that's where the Washington Post houses its servers, um, and it was entirely an inconvenient forum with no connection to Depp or any meaningful connection to his claims. The arguments are made. Now, Depp's legal team has also filed an appeal to that case, claiming that the singular count of defamation against Hurd, of which he was convicted, or found guilty of, as be a better word, was completely erroneous. His attorneys wrote in their filings, the jury's emphatic favorable verdict on all three defamatory statements alleged in his complaint fully vindicated Mr. Depp and restored his reputation. A group of appellate judges will rule on both appeals, depending on which legal team is left disappointed by that ruling, or both, maybe. Mr. Depp or Heard can then take the matter to the state Supreme Court, and possibly ultimately after that to the United States Supreme Court because I think there's some legitimate issues here regarding public figures. Um, I know I was saying a lot of this stuff way back when. We'll see how the appellate courts rule, but everybody loves Johnny Depp and everybody hates Amber Heard. I really don't care. And I was just trying to uh, look at the legal arguments. And, um, well, when you're a public figure, they can say just about anything about you. So we'll see. Next, our dumb criminal of the day. A Georgia fugitive asked on Facebook why he wasn't on the Rockdale County Sheriff's Office most wanted list. Not a good question to ask, especially if you have warrants. After the Sheriff's Office posted its most wanted list for November, this rocket scientist, Christopher Spaulding, commented, how about me? The department replied on Thursday. You are correct. You have two warrants. We're on the way. It later reshared a screenshot of the exchange along with Spalding's arrest photo writing, we appreciate you for your assistance in your capture. Idiot. Now, obviously uh, Mr. Spalding's uh, case must not have been that serious. It didn't make the top 10, but either way, the sheriff said, if you have a warrant, we're coming after you. We're just looking for the real most serious guys but thanks. We'll always appreciate it. Good for statistic purposes. All right. That's all we have for you today. Thanks for watching. Please join us tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Mountain Time for our live show. We'll see you then. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.